0: The Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the word of God against the challenges of men.
1: Interviewing Alistair MacLean. Who was Alistair MacLean? Alistair MacLean was a uh, Scottish author of adventure fiction. He was one of the best selling fiction authors of all time, famous for books like The Guns of Navarone, Ice Station Zebra, and Where the Eagles Dare. And there's an interesting story about an Alistair McLean interview recorded in the Incomplete Book of Failures. As I recall the story, it seems that McLean was a private individual who shunned publicity, and it was notoriously difficult for anyone in the media to get an interview with him. But one time, a local station heard that Alistair McLean was in town, And they thought, hey, why not give it a try? They found out where he was staying. They called his hotel and uh, asked, Alistair, would you be willing to come on the radio and do an interview with us? They didn't expect he'd say yes, but to their delight, he did. He agreed. He even seemed flattered by the invitation. And so they advertised the upcoming live interview copiously through the rest of the week. And then the time came for the interview. And Alistair McLean showed up at the studio, the interviewer greeted him, and then they were on the air, and the live interview began. And the host started out saying the usual kind of pleasantries. So, and he gets into the meat of the interview, he says, so tell us about your books. How do you get the ideas for your books? Alistair looks at him from a moment and says, books? Yes, your famous books? What books? You know the Guns of Navarone, Ice Station Zebra, Where Eagles there I didn't write those books. But aren't you Alistair MacLean? Yes, the author. No, I'm not an author. I'm I'm a clerk in the Bureau of Agriculture. And it turned out that was this was a different Alistair MacLean. They're the same name. It was not the same guy. And the poor radio station stuck doing a live interview. The next hour could discuss such interesting topics as how much corn was grown the previous year and other fun things like that. The problem here, they'd gotten the wrong Alistair McLean. He had the same name, but he was a different guy. And that was embarrassing to be sure, but no real harm was done. Getting the wrong Alistair McLean may make for a boring interview if you're not interested in how much corn was grown last year. But again, no great harm done. But what if you get the wrong Jesus? What if you get a guy with the same name, but it's a different guy? And yes, that can happen. Even in apostolic times, Paul had to issue this warning. In 2 Corinthians eleven three 3-4, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And Paul issues this warning because he's worried, and it seems strange because these are people who who heard the true gospel, knew the true gospel, knew the true Jesus. Why would they accept when somebody came in teaching a, a different Jesus, different from the one Paul preached, why would they accept it? Well, there's a clue in this very warning says at the beginning, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. And then, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So first, as the serpent deceived Eve, well, if we want to understand what that means, we need to go back and look at how the serpent deceived Eve. So we flip back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And we see the beginning of it. The serpent is there. It says to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that? And that's how it starts. Cast question upon the word of God. That's where it starts. You know God's word. You know it's God giving it. You're not going to go against it. But are you sure he really said that? And we have a lot of forces in, uh, in society, in academia today, calling it itself historical criticism and textual criticism that are doing that very thing. Did God really say these things? That's where it starts. And then it continues. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor shall you touch us lest you die Ooh, there is no record of god commanding them not to touch it okay? he said you shall not eat of it now maybe he said you shall not touch it some other time and it's not recorded in scripture but as far as we know he never said that and for her to insert that then suggests maybe she hadn't bothered to pay careful attention to God's word. And when you don't know what God says, that certainly sets you up for deception. So the serpent begins by getting her to doubt the word. Serpent discovers she doesn't really know the word. And so he can jump in for the kill and move from simply asking her to question it to outright denial of it. You will not surely die. God lied to you. And why did he lie? He doesn't want you to be like him. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Now, would an outright denial have worked if he hadn't first got her to question it? Maybe not, but he did. And now he's into outright denial and casting aspersions on God's character here. God doesn't really have your best interests at heart. He is trying to keep good things away from you. And so you can't trust him. And isn't that something that comes up in society nowadays, where the idea of love is instant gratification. Whatever I want, I should have. Love means doing whatever I feel like doing. And if if God says no, then we can't trust him. If he says no to any of our lusts, wow, we're not listening to that. And then finally, the punchline. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be your own arbiter of what's right and wrong. You do not have to listen to God because you will be like him. And this, folks, is behind every sin, the desire to be your own master, your own God, to be completely autonomous, not answerable to God or anyone. And it is a lie, a colossal lie, because you know what? You are accountable to him whether you admit that or not, whether you accept that or not, you will stand before his judgment seat one day. You can't escape that. It's simply fooling yourself if you think you can be your own God or be like God, but it's an appealing idea to a lot of people, and Eve falls for it. So again, question whether God has said it or not, question the word of God, See if the person actually knows the word of God. You're not going to fall into it if you know the word of God well. Maybe she didn't. And then outright deny the word of God and cast doubts on the character of God and the temptation, be your own God. And that this is how the serpent deceived Eve. And the second aspect is this: as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in christ and what is what is simplicity what what do they mean by that well the greek word is haplates it could be translated as simplicity sincerity uprightness frankness the idea is what you see is what you get and there's no like hidden motive hidden agenda secret agenda the gospel Acts 16 30 to 31 the philippian jailer asks uh Paul and Silas, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's a pretty simple gospel. What you see is what you get. Put your faith in Jesus, you will be saved. Now, I wonder if the flipping Jailer thought from a, wow, it has got to be more to it than this, isn't it?" Because everywhere you look, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. It's a simple gospel. And I've heard of people who said, well, that's too easy. You mean all I have to do is believe? And it rankles the souls of some people that they cannot take part in their own salvation. They can't do things to earn, in part at least, their own salvation. It's too simple to them, believe and be saved. They want to do things. And that's why Paul issues this warning: People who doubt the word of God, people who don't know the word of God, people who listen to and accept denials of it, who find it too simple who want to insert a role for themselves and in an earning eternal life those who want to be god figuratively if not literally these are the ones who are in danger of accepting a false jesus and a false gospel and how much more those who want to be god themselves and i'm warning you about this today because there are many who go about out there bringing a different jesus and a different gospel as jesus said would happen we have for example the uh Eastern Lightning Church, or Church of Almighty God. And this will give you a different Jesus. They will tell you that Jesus has already returned as a Chinese woman who will free people from their sins. Now, Jesus said, when he returns, the whole world will see it. So it's not some kind of secret return in the bowels of China. And the the angel said to the apostles after Jesus ascended into heaven, this same Jesus will return, this same Jesus, as you saw. So, no, he's not coming back as a Chinese woman. It's a different gospel, different Jesus. The Iglesia Ni Cristo, Church in Christ, will tell you that Jesus is the highest creation of God, but is not deity. Salvation is not by faith alone. Again, see, you have to do more. It's it's too simple to say just believe. It, It requires works by the church, which is the only true church and controls the eternal destiny. So, again, a different Jesus and a different gospel one called the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the name above every name, run by a Filipino named Apollo Quiboloy, And he will tell you that Jesus was the Christ in the Jewish setting, who failed to bring about salvation. And only Apollo Quiboloy himself, who claims to be the son of God and Christ in the Gentile setting can do that. Yeah, very different Jesus and a very different gospel. But it is fooling some people. And of course, you've probably heard of the Watchtower, the Jehovah's Witnesses, because they tend to come to your door every once in a while. They also will give you a different Jesus. It's a created being. He's actually Michael, the archangel. Uber Michael, in fact, because he's an improved version of Michael after his crucifixion. And salvation is by works and by obedience and watchtower. Different Jesus, different gospel. And then, of course, you have Mormonism, calling itself the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They've recently done some rebranding where they just call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ, again, trying to hide who they are. And here, too, we ask, is this a Christian church, as they claim, or is it another Jesus with another gospel? And this one we need to spend some time on because they they tend to come to your door. You might have already encountered them. They will always come in pairs, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, but you can always distinguish them. You know which one is which because they will always dress like this, the Mormons. The short-sleeved white shirt, the close-cropped haircuts, and the the black name tags where they identify them as elder so-and-so. Christians often don't know what to do with such people when they show up at your door. Do you just not answer the door and pretend you're not at home and hope they go away? you slam the door in their face? Do you engage them in talk? Those are your options. Now, do remember this morning. So, I would suggest if you're not grounded, if you're not knowledgeable in the Christian faith, then you're ripe for deception. I'd say let them move on and get busy getting grounded in the Word of God. But if you are grounded, and if you know your faith well, then you have an opportunity now to present the true gospel to them, to try to bring them from darkness to light. And we had a couple of Mormon missionaries over last Sunday. Dana had bumped into them a couple of days earlier and invited them to come on Sunday, and they actually showed up. And how the encounter went with them may have some good lessons for us. So point number one, the first thing they will claim is this. They want to set you at ease. We believe in Jesus, too. We're not trying to convert you. We believe in Jesus, too. And they'll tell you, we believe the same things you do. And that's the first problem. They believe a very different Jesus and a very different gospel. They do not believe the same things we do, and they know it. They know they don't. So you have to ask yourself right away if a church could possibly be a true church if it starts out by being deceptive. But, of course, seeing the problem depends on you knowing what they actually believe. You have to know what they believe. And if you point out to them that you know, and you tell them their beliefs, then they will admit it. Yeah, I guess guess it is different, but uh, they start out trying to get you off guard by telling you they believe the same things. What do they actually believe? Well, uh, Mormonism was founded by a fellow called Joseph Smith, born in Vermont in the U.S. in 1805. And he eventually went on to claim that he did a greater work than Paul, than John, than Peter, and yes, a greater work than Jesus. Nobody ever did what Joseph Smith did. According to Joseph Smith and This is what Mormons believe. Joseph Smith in 1820 was visited by Elohim, which is God the Father, and Jehovah, who is Jesus. And they told him all churches were corrupt and Joseph Smith would restore the true church. Notice that God and Jesus are two completely separate beings. Three years later, in 1823, he is visited by the angel Moroni, who told him of some golden plates buried on the Hill Cumorah in New York State. Four years later, Smith obtains and begins translating the plates from their language, Reformed Egyptian. There's no such language. And he didn't actually use the plates when he translated. He used seer stones. Apparently, buried with the plates were two stones that would enable him to read them properly, like glasses, And he lost those stones, so he took one stone from his own collection, tossed it into a hat, stuck his face in it, and started translating while his uh, kinsman, Oliver Cowdery, wrote it down. In 1830, the translation is finished and published as the Book of Mormon, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is officially founded, organized. 1835, a second book, Doctrines and Covenants, containing revelations to Joseph Smith and teachings of Joseph Smith is canonized. In 1844, Joseph Smith is killed and succeeded by Brigham Young. And then in 1880, a third book, Pearl of Great Price, is canonized. So they have three works of scripture, four if you include the Bible, but they tell you the Bible is trustworthy only insofar as it's correctly translated. Wherever the Bible disagrees with the Book of Mormon, The Bible was not translated correctly. What do they actually believe? Now, I'm going to list their fundamental beliefs, and you tell me if this sounds remotely like Christianity. First, they believe there are millions of gods. Each god, including our god, the god of this planet, was once a man who became a god. With his own planet full of people populated by his own spirit children that he conceived in the spirit world with his spirit wife, and all these people will then worship him as god. It is, in fact, the hope of every Mormon male to become a god with his own planet of spirit children to worship him forever. Even the serpent only said you'll be like God. Mormonism tells you you will be God. They deny the Trinity. God, whom they call Elohim, Jesus, Jove are separate beings, and the Holy Spirit, while sometimes an impersonal force, sometimes he seems to be a third person. Our God is not spirit, but has a body of flesh and blood. The Book of Mormon is perfect. The living prophet heading the church is infallible. So I ask you, does this sound at all like the gospel you believe? No. So what do you do? They'll tell you that the Book of Mormon is perfect. Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God. What do you do? Well, if you know the Bible and you know the facts, you can engage them. The goal is not to fight or win an argument. It's to bring them to Christ, which, yes, will require winning some arguments. But the goal is to bring them to Christ. It is unlikely, okay, it is very unlikely that they will convert on the spot. Not impossible, but, but very unlikely, and they will leave believing the same things they did coming in, and you can be discouraged by that. I suggest not to be discouraged. Remember what Paul wrote in First Corinthians 3, 5 to 8, I planted Apollos watered, water, but God gave the increase, right? He who plants, he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward. This may not be the time to bring in the increase. They may not be ready to convert. Your job may be to plant. You may be the first Christian they encountered who can actually give them intelligent rebuttals. And you're planting seeds. Maybe other Christians have done this already, and they've they've planted the seeds, and now you're the one watering. Move them along towards that final conversion. So what you're doing is important. If you speak to them, you speak well, it's important. Even if they don't convert at the moment, what you've done is, is worth doing. So how to speak to them? Well, how to, how to approach it? There are, there are various things you can do. One obvious one is to, is to shake their faith in Mormonism. List their beliefs. Okay, Get them to admit they believe these things. They, they will try to deny them at first. I've had that happen. But they will try to deny at first that they believe in millions of gods, that God was once a man, and so on. But once they know, you know it. They'll admit it. So you get them to admit these beliefs. It's important to get them to admit it so that afterwards they can't deny it. And then you ask them to look up certain passages in the Book of Mormon, the perfect book, the one that their living prophet will tell you is perfect and infallible, the same living prophet who will affirm these beliefs of Mormonism, They believe, for example, that uh, God was once a man and became a God. Ask them to open their Book of Mormon. Read Moroni 8.18, Mormon 9, 9 to 10 and 19, where it says that God is unchanging from all eternity to all eternity. And hammer home on this. You, You believe that God was once a man and became God. And your hope is that you will become a God, just like the God of this planet. And yet, according to that perfect book of yours, God was never a man. What does that do to your chances of becoming a God? And continue this way. They believe that there are millions of gods in the universe. Have them read Alma eleven twenty six 26 to 3. And these are the names of books in the Book of Mormon, which will tell you there's only one God. They believe that Jesus and God are two separate beings. Ask them that Jesus is not God the Father, two separate beings. And point out that, in fact, according to the Book of Mormon, Jesus is God the Father. Ether three fourteen, Mosiah 7:27, 27, to 5, 16, 15, Alma 11, 38 to 39, Mormon 9, 12. They believe there's no Trinity point out that the book of Mormon teaches a Trinity third Nephi 11, 27, 36. Second Nephi 31, 21. They believe that God is not a spirit, but is flesh and blood as a body like yours and mine. And yet according to the book of Mormon, God is a spirit. Alma 31, 15. If they're willing to go through all these point out, if your book contradicts your beliefs and you believe that book is perfect and your prophet is infallible, and he affirms both the beliefs and the book, then it cannot be true. Either the book is wrong, or your prophet is wrong. Either your beliefs are wrong, or your book is wrong, but your belief is the book cannot be wrong. And at this point, you need to point out that if you care about your eternal soul, you will abandon Mormonism, on you? If you really care about the truth, if you're really willing to go where the evidence leads, otherwise you will be without excuse on judgment day. Another thing you can do is lead with this, which I did on on Sunday. Ask them this, okay? I know what you believe. I want to know why you believe it. And you try to explain why it's crucial to know why you believe what you believe. Otherwise, how can you know it's true? Isn't your eternal destiny important enough that you should do your due diligence in this matter? And after all, that's what Jesus said, right? They will tell you this repeatedly. We know the gospel. That's what we tell them. We know the gospel Jesus taught us the apostles that jesus chose recorded it for us in the bible now they will tell you look after the apostles true christianity was lost and joseph smith restored it but I point point: look you say after the apostles oh well, we know what the apostles believed it's in the bible and we point out that jesus proved it how by fulfilling ancient prophecies working amazing miracles rising from the dead Joseph Smith brought a very different gospel. What evidence did he give that we should believe it? And pin them down on that. Why do you believe? Jesus said, you have to go by evidence. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But it says, believe the works. And again, the very works that I do bear witness of me. Believe me for the sake of the work themselves. See, this is what sets the true Jesus apart from every other Jesus. The true Jesus is the only one that can prove himself. And I'm so glad that our God did give us evidence to prove himself. And so you have to hammer down on this. I keep asking, why do you believe this? And they kept saying, well, we believe that Joseph Smith is a prophet. And I had to keep interrupting and saying, I know you believe that. I know what you believe. I'm asking you, why do you believe it? And they can't give you an answer at all. And then another punchline, if if we say this for the sake of argument, let's suppose we believe all that Joseph Smith said. Let's say we believe that he was indeed approached by two spirit beings in 1820. The Mormon Church didn't teach this until 1842, 22 years after it supposedly happens. There was no mention of it until then. And their early records shows nine different accounts of this first meeting that contradict each other on how old he was at the time where it happened who the personages were that approached him what instructions they gave him so it's not believable Well, let's say we believe it for the sake of argument how could Joseph Smith or we know that these spirit beings who approached him were actually God and Jesus how do we know they're actually God and Jesus and not evil spirits trying to mislead him how can you know that It's the same thing as with Islam. If we believe everything about the the traditional accounts of how Islam started, it goes back to Muhammad in that cave, approached by a spirit being who announced that he is Jibreel, the archangel. How can you possibly know that it was really Jibreel, not an evil spirit? How could Joseph Smith really know this was God and Jesus and not evil spirits? There's no answer. There is no reason they can give for believing this. And that's when you can point this out to them as well as Paul's warning in Galatians 1, 6 to 9. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who brought you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. We are warned specifically to beware of angels preaching a different gospel, and who brought Joseph Smith those golden plates uh, The different gospel? Well, wasn't it an angel? Moroni. We were already warned not to listen to angels bringing different gospels, weren't we? So when they're stuck, they have no answer. They cannot give you any factual basis for their belief. They will retreat to this. Faced with the utter lack of evidence, they will say, well, look, uh, just ask. If you shall ask with a sincere heart, ask God, the eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if you shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you. Really? How? How does he manifest it to you? Well, I'll tell you, you get a burning in the bosom. So what is it? Well, here's one Mormon elder from the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles who tells you, Surely the word burning signifies a feeling of comfort and sincerity. That is the witness many receive. That is the way revelation works. So in other words, they feel it's true. And guess what? Every religion believers feel it's true. Show me where Jesus ever said that that is how you determine truth. Where did Jesus say, well, just, you know, believe and you'll feel. Wait, I already showed you that Jesus said there's only one way, and that is evidence He commanded, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. That's a command. It's the only proof of truth. We have it. Mormonism doesn't. Neither do any of these groups bringing false Jesuses and false gospels. None of them can give you proof. So remember, it doesn't matter much if you get the wrong Alistair McLean for your interview, but it matters completely if you get. The wrong Jesus. If you don't want to fall this trap, folks, and lose your eternal salvation, remember what the true gospel is and who the true Jesus is, and that he is the only one who has proven himself. So, what happened with those Mormon missionaries who came here? Well, we had a nice, lengthy, erratic talk. They didn't convert on the spot, which I didn't expect they would. My goal was to plant seeds, seeds of doubt in Mormonism, seeds of the true Jesus. And I think I, I succeeded in doing that. I planted or perhaps I watered what others have planted before me. And I can hope that one day God will give the increase and those two who are here will come to the true gospel. They have listened to the lies of another Jesus and a different gospel long enough time to turn to the truth.
0: If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you.